Revelation chapter 20, we are going to consider verse 13 through 15 of chapter 20. 13 through 15 of chapter 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There it is. The lake of fire. If And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, may God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider your holy and precious word, and also consider this doctrine of Hades and death. Uh, give us grace, Lord, to to perceive, to rightly understand, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us also to not only receive, but also believe and obey. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, we will be at one point... In this sermon going to 1st Corinthians chapter 15 so if you'd like to get a head start on getting there I I will do that Um, 1st Corinthians chapter 15 we will be drawing from some of the um, things that Paul says there in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 so if you want to get there now that would be um, that would be a good idea well good morning Uh, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we are returning this morning to the 20th chapter And to a few verses that we considered last week, the reason why we are returning to these verses of the 20th chapter is because last week during our break, it was clear to me through some of the conversations that we were having that a a refresher on the doctrine of death and Hades would be helpful. Um, that thought was confirmed at Woman of the Word. Women of the Word. I asked them simply a very question, a very um, simple question before we got into our, our main lesson, which was this: What is Hades? <clears throat> and their response affirmed my um, suspicion that it would be good for us to go over this doctrine of Hades once again. What better opportunity to go over a doctrine of Hades than here in the 20th chapter of Revelation? Now. I'm saying refresh because back in August of 2020, Pastor Isaiah preached two, I'm going to say this probably a a number of times, spectacular sermons on Christ's descent into hell. I listened to them four times this week, each of them. In those two sermons, Pastor Isaiah presented a teaching on Hades that I really do recommend that you go back to listen to. They will bless your soul. So today is a refresher because you have heard this before. It's just been three years. I will be drawing from those two sermons and also with God's help, I think hopefully giving more clarity to the idea that death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Four points for our consideration this morning. Let's let's get right into it. Number one, death. Number one point, death. Um, verse 13. This will be kind of a launching pad for these, these points. <clears throat> the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. I'm going to, God help me walk slow through this sermon. What is death? What is death? 
death is first and foremost a consequence of sin. Death is first and foremost a consequence of sin. When God created heavens and the earth, all things were good. God created man in his own image and breathed into man the breath of life. And yet, amidst the goodness of God's creation, good, and the life that God breathes into man, we'll get into what that is, there is a warning of death. If man did not keep covenant with God and abstain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God's threat to him is you will die. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, God says to Adam, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in it, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. A verse that we are all very familiar with. We know this verse, don't we? As we know, Adam did in fact take from the fruit of the forbidden tree. And thus, because of his sin, brought death upon all of humanity. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin enters the world, and death through sin, we die because of sin, is what Paul is saying. So death spread to all men because all sin. I hope that you see that death is a result, first and foremost, of sin. What is death? It's a consequence of sin. In death, now here, here's the result of it, in death, the body and soul separate at a time determined by God. When one dies at that moment of death, which is determined by God, body and soul separate. Many things lead to death, sickness, disease, injury, but the result of death is this, separation of body and soul. The reason for death is sin. The result of death is separation of body and soul. We could get into um, and add to enmity with God, hostility toward God. That's another sermon for another day. Let's just for now deal with death being consequence of sin and death, the result of it, body and soul separating. What is the body? Okay, let's get into this. The body is that which has been formed or shaped by God. You are how God has shaped you. God has shaped you to be as you are. Man is shaped by God. We know that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God formed man from the dust of the ground. The body is flesh and bone. What is the body? Flesh and bone. The body is made up of parts. The parts make up the whole. The body must have a soul in order to be what's called a proper human being. A human being is not a, a human being if he does not have a soul. A human being, in order to be a human being, must have body and soul. This is the breath that God breathes into man when he creates him. When God breathes into man the breath of life, he breathes into man a soul, we could go even further to be confessional, a rational soul. We'll talk about what that is in a moment too, I think. Human beings, proper human beings, are body, <clears throat> soul, composites. 
You must be both in order to be a human being. Now, what is a soul? Pastor Isaiah in his 2020 sermon says, The soul is the form of the body. The form of a thing makes it to be what it is. Our soul informs our body to be that which it is, which is human. The soul animates the body, animates the body. Um, if you've ever drawn anything, if your children or your grandkids or even you as at one point drew a stick figure, it's essentially the body. What the animator does is he animates it so that it moves. The soul is that animator of the stick figure, of the body. Aquinas says the soul is not the body, but it is the act of the body. Your body is just a body without a soul. The soul animates, causes your body to act. Um, it's a really kind of Aristotelian thing to say, but the philosopher and the angelic doctor, they are both right in that. The soul, I'm going to say this, is, is a mysterious thing. I don't claim to have all the answers. I do assert that the soul consists of your intellect, that is your reason, your ability to reason. When you reason, it's your soul doing that. The ability to rationalize a thing as being good or not good, desirable or not desirable, the soul is doing that and it, it, it animates the body to act upon that which you have reasoned or rationalized, right? I do believe the soul also consists of your passions, the things that you love, um, also the things that you hate. The soul is where we, we have this what's called moral compass of justice that we act upon in the body. All of these things animate your body. The intellect reasons and it acts upon a thing. You reason and then believe. Reason and then you come to a conclusion in your soul that it is good to name it, exercise. So then your body acts upon the reasoning of your soul by which we hopefully pray that you will benefit. You love and you act upon that passion by showing physical affection. And you find delight in your body and in your soul by acting upon that which your, your, your passions have moved, been moved towards. Yes? Are you with me? The soul is your conscious self. And the body is your material self. The soul is your conscious self and the, the body is your Material self. Together, they make up a human being. Again, in order for a human to truly be human, they must have both body and soul. At death, body and soul experience a separation. The human is no longer truly human. They will call them human remains. But not a human being. It, it is the remains of what was once a human being, but no longer a human being because the soul has gone out from them. The lamp has, of their eye has gone out. At death, the human body dissolves. It returns to the dust from which it was created. It is the result of man's curse uh, from God. When the Lord judged man for his sin, he cursed him saying, Genesis 3.17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and eaten from the fruit or the tree which I commanded you, verse 19, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread 
until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, God says, and to dust you shall return. That's why the, the person who um, is officiating the ceremony will say at a funeral, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes. David wrote in Psalm 103, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Why? He says in verse 14, for he knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. When the soul separates from the body, the body returns to the dust for a time. It goes to the ground. Um, maybe not today. No, not today. Maybe at one point we will talk about proper burials from the scriptures. What is a proper burial from the scripture? Well, maybe we'll do that at some length one day. But I will summarize, I think, the scripture's position. And that is, for a believer... They are buried, not cremated. And they are buried as a testimony to their faith that their bodies will be raised to life on the last day. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were buried with their fathers, not cremated. And it was a testimony that their bodies would be raised. Well, when Joseph was in Egypt, he says to his, um, his brothers, take my bones out of here. He didn't say Burn them here. Take my bones out of here and bury them. It is a testimony to the resurrection. When John the Baptist was beheaded, his disciples came and took his body and gave it a proper burial, not burning. The Lord Jesus Christ is, above all, our example, example of what we are to do with the body. His body was preserved. It was honored. It was buried. We follow that same example. Cremation does not honor the body. It disregards the body. Can the Lord raise it up? Of course it can. But a burial is a testimony from the grave that your bodies will be raised to life. Put on my on my tombstone, this body shall be raised because Christ's body was raised. When the body goes into the ground, it's unable then to retain the soul in death. Ecclesiastes 8, uh, verse 6 through 8. What happens to the soul then? The soul, the immaterial self, conscious self, it lives on. The body dissolves and it awaits its resurrection day. The soul lives on. Where does it go? Number two, Hades. Number two, point, second point, Hades. Uh, I'm not going to read the verse again, but it is verse 13. What is Hades? Growing up. Hades was the word that you said when you did not want to say hell. You would say, you're going to go to Hades because you didn't want to say the word hell. It was a bad word back then, yes? Uh, I guess it could, still could be. Many associate Hades only with hell. That is the place of the damned. It is the place, people think, where Satan is, demons are, and where the unbeliever goes when they die. They go to Hades. Well, what is Hades? Hades is the Greek word for spiritual realm of the dead. It is the Greek word for spiritual realm of the dead. The spiritual realm, this spiritual realm, Hades, is unseen and not physical. It is unseen and not physical. We cannot travel to this spiritual realm with our physical bodies because it is a spiritual place. Now, that may seem, seem strange, but we all already confess 
a belief in an unseen reality of spiritual things. Meaning, you believe there are spiritual things around you right now that you can't see, but they are truly there. Amen? Yeah. You all believe that angels exist, don't you? You also believe that they are present with us now, don't you? But you can't see them. But it doesn't mean that they're not there. So this realm of the spiritual is exists, but it's not physical. It's where the soul goes. Um, let me not get on it. I was going to get on something else. Let me not do that. We also believe that God exists, don't we? <clears throat> Our catechism, children's catechism says, can you see God? The answer is no, but God can see you. So we already believe that there, there are spiritual things that exist that we just cannot see. Now, in Pastor Isaiah's, um, so my point is that it, this accepting of this unseen, unseen spiritual realm should not be difficult for us to say, yes, I agree with that. In Isaiah's sermon 2020, he calls Hades, I, I like the phrase, the spiritual underworld. The spiritual underworld. It is spiritual. It is an unseen world that exists for what? It exists for the souls of those who have left their bodies for a time. It exists for the souls of those who have left their bodies for a time. Uh, our Lord in the parable um, of the unseen spiritual realm in Luke 16 gives us kind of some insight into this unseen world, right? You know the parable. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Both live, then die. And then their bodies are separated from their souls and they go to a realm for the dead. Yeah. Luke 16, 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He lifted up his eyes. That is this, that is not to say that in Hades you have eyes. It is to say that in Hades you are conscious. Your conscious self is able to perceive a thing. Being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, our Lord gives us some insight into this unseen spiritual realm that is seen, not by the corporeal physical eye, but by your spiritual eye, the thing that allows you to perceive a thing. The details are many. Many details. There will be a time when we do a sermon just on Luke 16. But for now, let's just focus on this. The two compartments of Hades. Now, we have, I think we've established Hades is the realm of the dead. Okay, so if you're thinking about um, Hades itself, it's just the whole realm for those who have died. So now within this entire realm, there are two compartments. That's three. Two compartments, right? One for the righteous and one for the wicked. Within Hades, two compartments, one for righteous, one for wicked. The place for the righteous is called just one time Abraham's bosom. That is being nestled close to Abraham. It is named after Abraham because those who have faith like Abraham did in Christ will find rest Comfort and delight for their souls when they die. Like Abraham did. Abraham will not be the one to meet you when your body departs from your soul. 
Neither will St. Peter. Peter is not standing at the gates waiting to greet you. You with me? Instead, it is a realm that you are welcomed into. You're past being faith in Christ alone. Later, Christ will call this place for the righteous paradise. He says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me. He doesn't say Abraham's bosom. Today you will be with me in paradise. It is the same realm. In Hades, two realms. One that is for the faithful who have faith like Abraham. And it is a place of paradise. Comfort for soul, rest for soul, and also delight in God. The other, place within Hades, the realm of the dead, is where souls of the wicked go. It is essentially called the place of torment. Not yet hell. The place of torment, not yet hell. Um, in, in Christ's Sermon on the Mount, he, he will use, don't do this or you'll go to hell. Don't worry about this and eventually be judged in hell. He's speaking about final hell, not where you go per se when you die. Now, hell could also be interchanged with Hades and still be the realm of the dead, not place of suffering. It still could be. We'll talk about that from the Apostles' Creed in a moment. <clears throat> Weeping and gnashing of teeth will be in hell, final hell. But torment is found in the place of torment where unbelievers, the unrighteous go when they die. I hope that I'm not confusing anyone. The Bible says the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. Same word is Hades. Now, let us consider these two compartments really quick. Hades. You already know about compartments or departments, don't you? I used the example when I was with the woman of the word I'm teaching of Sears, right? Sears, the store. Um, my mom used to park in the back all the time. Where is, I guess they would do kind of tires and stuff. Park in the back. When you entered Sears from the back, you would enter and you would walk into tools for men that would eventually kind of morph into clothes for men if you went to the right. If you kept on walking, you would enter into the department for women. That would be clothes, shoes, and then eventually jewelry until you exit the mall and you're in the mall. Exit Sears and then you're in the mall. If you went downstairs, you would go to appliances. That's how much my mom took me to the mall when I was a kid. Um, downstairs is appliances, yes? You would go downstairs and there would be um, washers and dryers and refrigerators and so on and so forth. All of these are within the store of Sears, yet they're in different compartments or departments. One upper, one lower, yet it's the same place. I, um, I submit to you that it's the same idea with Hades. If you take the idea of Hades and start with it as being the realm of the dead with two compartments, one upper and one lower, paradise and place of torment, then you, you, you got the idea of it. Then you get it. You no longer have to say, and you can also say, when I die, I'm going to Hades. And not, and not blush when you say that. In death, I said that to my wife, I said, do you think that's funny? She, she said no. In death, the soul goes to one of these two compartments. 
One saint asked last week, what about Sheol? Where is that? It's the same place. Hades and Sheol of the Old Testament mean the same thing just in two different languages. Hades or Hades is the way you say it in Greek. Hades is the place or realm of the dead, while Sheol is also in Hebrew the place of the dead. So in the Old Testament, you'll see Sheol. Jacob, when he believed that his son Joseph was dead, he lamented, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. What I think is fascinating is that Jacob has a doctrine of the realm of the dead before Scripture was ever written. There's an awareness by Jacob without um, Scripture being written that there is a realm for the dead that he will go down to his soul. Because of his mourning for his son. David said in Psalm 86, 13, for your loving kindness toward me is great. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Uh, David believed that he was as good as as damned. The depths of Sheol is the lower part, which is the place for the wicked. Of Hades, Sheol. David says, you delivered me from where I should be. The depths of Sheol. And you are bringing me essentially to the upper parts of Sheol for the righteous. Hades is the unseen spiritual realm of the dead. Luke 16 gives a picture of the upper and lower parts, Isaiah says, of this underworld. One thing I would like to add, I think, it is a picture before the resurrection of Christ. I really do think that after the resurrection of Christ, that picture of the underworld changes. I'll get to maybe why at the very end of the sermon. In Revelation chapter 20, John sees that on the final day, the day of judgment, the sea, death, and Hades must give up the dead. All right? That, that's, these are some of the things I think could have been clearer last week. The sea, death, and Hades give up their dead. Number three, the sea in Revelation. The sea in Revelation. Now, um, my, my dear nephew Moses asked me a week or two ago, how do you know how to interpret this particular book? And the answer was, you interpret it according to its genre. So while sea may mean um, the literal sea of Galilee in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sea actually means something in the book of Revelation, something different altogether because of its genre. In the Gospels, it is a narrative that is giving you a literal um, presentation of what's taking place. In Revelation, it's a book of prophecy. Therefore, we interpret it symbolically or according to how the prophet intended us to see it, which was um, through symbols. It's me saying the same thing. Verse 13, the sea. It gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the, gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. In Revelation, the sea symbolizes the evil realm of the dead in Hades. In, in Revelation, the sea symbolizes the realm of evil within Hades. The sea, secondarily, okay, so it's associated with the evil compartment of Hades. Secondarily, it's also related to unsettled Evil or unsettled chaos, wickedness. So there's two meanings here. Just like the sea is restless, it's violent, right? 
Its depths are dark and dangerous. All of these descriptions of the sea are being used by John to describe the realm of the dead, of the wicked. The realm of the wicked in the realm of the dead. Yeah? Revelation chapter 13, you will remember the dragon, who was Satan, stands on the seashore and he calls the beast to arise from the sea. The sea is that place that represents not only restless evil, but also the spiritual realm of demons and unbelievers. It's the place for the wicked. Satan and the demons are delegated a certain kind of governing. God allows them to govern in a certain way the place that is reserved for the wicked. It's violent. It's chaotic. But it's not outside of the control of God. Stay with me. The sea represents the place reserved for the wicked. But it is not outside of the sovereign control of God Almighty. Satan is not the Lord of 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 the place of the wicked. God is. God is present there, not in a way of friendship, but in a way of judgment. It is a place reserved for the wicked, not outside of the power or control of God. And those who are within are also not outside of God's sovereign hand. That includes the demonic forces. The demonic forces who have been delegated a certain kind of responsibility over that place for the wicked, they are also in God's hands. They also will be judged. Now, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6, you will remember that there is a sea of glass before the throne of God. Remember this? There's God's throne and then there is something that like a sea of glass. That is meant to communicate God's... Um, Sovereignty over all evil. Evil is not chaotic before God. Evil is under God's control. Whenever you are tempted to think this world is is going awry, uh, this world is out of control, understand that before God is it is but a sea of glass. God has all things under control. Revelation fifteen two, and I saw something like a sea of glass. John says. Mixed with fire. And those who have been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. John sees a time not only when when um, the sea is calm, but also when the sea is judged. That is all wickedness. Not only that, but he sees that we stand on top of that sea as well. That Christ's victory is our victory. Now, Revelation 20 verse 13, the sea gives up the dead. Alright? It is that realm for the wicked, it is the realm for the dead. Now John sees on the day of judgment, the sea must give up all of those who reside there. The sea, the place where the wicked dwell, give up the dead that have been retained there. The place of the damned, those who have rebelled against God, men and angels. This place can be called hell. It can be. It's not final hell, though. Luke 16, again, place of suffering, torment. Here, 
in, John, in Revelation 20, John sees they must be given up, that is, raised to life, in order to stand and be judged before God. The see, death and Hades must give up all who are retained by them. Now, this is interesting. I, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to now. John almost treats death and Hades like they're actual individuals. Rather than consequences. You with me? What is death? It's a consequence of sin. It's a separation of soul and body. But John almost treats death as if it's a personal, a personal, personal being. Because death will be thrown into the lake of fire. What goes on in the lake of fire? Torment and suffering. Also, Hades. John treats Hades as if, as if Hades was a personal being rather than just a place realm for the dead. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, John says, I looked and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades following it. I'm going to say this in passing because I think it's interesting for you guys to, to contemplate later. G.K. Beale suggests that Death and Hades may, may be personal satanic forces. And not just regions retaining the body of the deceased, but actual satanic forces governing these regions. Meaning this, death is a consequence of sin, yes. But there also may be a demonic force who is over death, who will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Um, Hades may be a place for the realm of the dead, but the person who, who um, governs over the realm for the wicked he also may have a title of Hades that, that, will, that he will be thrown into the lake of fire one day and be judged. Fascinating. The same names, death and Hades, appear in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 when Jesus says he's defeated them and treats them almost as personal beings. Now, whether or not they are or, or not, the point is that they must give up. They must give up with the time that God has decreed to vindicate all of his saints comes, the time, time of resurrection and judgment, they must give up. Fourth and finally, final defeat of death and Hades. Final defeat of death and Hades. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. John sees that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades... Again, they could be demonic spirits, whatever the case may be, they must give up. When the day of judgment comes, it is also a day of resurrection. All bodies, um, all of them, my, my wife and, and kids, we were in South San Francisco. And I don't know what the street is called, but it should be called Cemetery Row. There was this long street and on both sides of the street were hills and hills of, first of all, both sides of the street are cemeteries, and both sides of the hill are, are hills and hills of people buried. We were driving through there, and I thought, this is the, the, the creepiest street I've ever been on in my life. So, you know, what we did, we drove through one of them and said, wow, it's, it's just as creepy inside of it as well. Beautiful, but also creepy. Thousands and thousands of dead, all of them. That was just one street of South San Francisco. All of them will be raised. The dead that, that has held them in the grave must give them up. 
when the day of judgment comes, it will be a day of resurrection when all of the bodies that have gone to the dust since the creation of man will be raised. Now, here's where we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. God, help my eyes. To, to, to 50 to 53. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold... I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. The apostle speaks about death. Um, in a metaphorical way, he calls death sleeping. Some have taken this too far and have said that when the person dies, they just go to sleep. Soul goes nowhere. We believe that's an error. The body will be awakened. How will the body be awakened? The soul will be reunited to the body. And this will take place when Christ, who is the firstborn from the dead, Returns to judge the world. John chapter 5 and verse 25. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 28. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All will be raised. Listen, righteous and unrighteous. All will be raised. The righteous, those who have trusted in Christ, will receive glorified bodies. As Christ was raised from the dead, so too they will be raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21. For since death, for since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all will be made alive. Each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, the first to be raised from the dead, to take this body and soul and be glorified. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, then he then the end comes when he hands over the kingdom of the God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority, he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Listen to this. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. At the resurrection, death is defeated. Death is defeated now because of your hope of glory. But death will be in a, in a completely new way defeated when you are raised from the dead. That is when death has truly lost its sting. That is when, when victory is swallowed up in death. Right now, your hope is that the sting of death has been removed because of your faith in Christ. Christ has removed the sting of death. It will be even more um, personal, I guess, in a certain way. That's probably a bad way to say it. It will, be even, it will be even greater for you when you are raised from the dead and when there will be no more who die. That's when the sting of death is swallowed up. That's when Christ truly can, in the, in the fullest sense of the word, declare his victory over death. Because no more will die. In scriptures, you can die 
And Jesus will say, but you live. We believe that. But it will be actual, that's the word, it will be actualized in the fullest sense of the word when you are raised from the dead and when you no longer die and when no one ever dies again. That's when the sting of death is removed. Death is swallowed up in the victory of Christ. The body becomes glorified or even, you could say, just like Christ, deified. Because the body of Christ was also glorified or deified. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 41 through 49. Death no longer will have hold on us. It is defeated because of the resurrection of Christ. Death could not hold him. Therefore, death will not be able to hold you. When you die, if you die before the return of Christ, death will hold you for a little while. But you will not be considered dead, even though you die. That's what Jesus says. Though you die... You live. You will be considered dead, but for those who are in Christ, you will be considered alive. For those who are not in Christ, you die and you are considered dead. They will go, those who are not in Christ, they go from death to death. Even at the resurrection, they are raised to life, they are still going from death to death. The righteous go from glory to glory, while the wicked go from death to death. To even greater death. Paul, uh, John calls this the second death. The wicked, even though they are raised, they are still considered dead because death is their destiny. Life is your destiny. Those who are wicked and unrighteous can be considered dead because death is their destiny. It is the only thing they will ever know. The second death, this is the second death that is spoken of here in Revelation. Not a physical death. They're not going to be raised to life. And then, ah, I died again. They're already dead. The unbeliever is will undergo God's judgment. And they will die what is called the second death. It's the figurative way. And I'm going to say that I'm going to read this because I'm not going to be able to just say it off the top of my head the right way. The second death is the figurative in one sense way. But also literal in another sense way of saying death. Now, here's what I mean. Figurative in one sense because the person who is dead has already died and they won't die again in one sense. But in another way, literal because the unbeliever will eventually be raised, body and soul, and then cast into the lake of fire, which is seen as a literal second death. If that's confusing, talk to me later, and I hope to make more sense of that. The unrighteous are given the title dead because it's the only existence they will ever know. They will not know abundant life, but they will only know eternal separation from the kind presence of God, which is death. A facet of the second death is separation from the presence of God forever and from the city of God. Those who live, 21 is coming next week, Lord willing. Those who live will live in a new city. It is called the New Jerusalem. And in that city, you will live in the presence of God forever. Those who are not in Christ don't live in the city. They live outside of the city. I said this to Mario last week. Where was Christ crucified? In the city or outside of the city? Outside of the city. He is treated as the outcast for you and I who were outcast because of our sin. 
Christ was crucified out of the city in order to bring us into the city so that we might enjoy and share fellowship with him forever. In death, death is thrown into the lake of fire because no one will ever die again. The consequence of sin will be no more. Then Paul says death will be mocked because its sting has been removed by the person and work of Christ. Hades will also be thrown into the lake of fire. Hades, the realm of the dead, will be no more. Why? Because body and soul will be raised. There will be no need for just a place for the soul. Body and soul will be raised together. They will either live in the new creation or they will suffer in the eternal lake of fire, hell. But there will be no need for a realm, spiritual realm of the dead, because we will, we will be united body and soul. Christ lived as we lived. Christ was truly human, body and soul. His righteous soul was graced to animate his body, to walk in perfect obedience to the law of God and to the will of God. He knew no sin. He was and is the divine exemplar. And when the time came for him to lay down his life, he willingly yielded up his life to death. Jesus says no one took his life from him, that he laid it down on his own accord. Christ truly died. When he died, where did Jesus go? The Apostles' Creed says that he descended into hell, that he went to hell. He went to Hades. And we agree. We don't agree with the false teaching that Christ went to hell to suffer. That's heresy. The false teaching that we were raised with was that Christ went to hell and that he was suffering in hell. That he was being stabbed with pitchforks. That demons were dancing around him thinking that they had won. And just when they thought that they had defeated the Son of God, Jesus came back to life. The false teaching is that, is that Jesus must, go, must have gone to hell in order to fulfill his work of salvation. That he must go to hell in order to complete his work of saving you and I to suffer in hell on your and my behalf. Not the case. What do the scriptures say that Jesus does when he goes to hell or Hades? The scriptures don't say that he suffered. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. The apostle declares that he did not suffer. Instead, he preached. That he proclaimed that while Christ was in the realm of the dead, he was proclaiming proclamation freedom to all of the captives. Not just to the righteous who had faith in him, but also to the to the wicked who rejected the gospel. Christ proclaimed the gospel and made known to every soul in Hades that he is victorious over death and Hades. And when the three days were up, imagine Christ preaching for three days in the place of the dead, in, no, in the realm of the dead. What a message that must have been. Pastor Isaiah said in his sermon, which floored me, and, and he told me I got that from someone else, but I heard it from him, so I'm going to credit him for saying it. He said his apostles for three and a half years never knew a day without hearing their master preach a word to them. Never knew a day without their master saying a word to them. And then Christ dies, and it must have been the most silent three days they ever experienced in their life. But while it was quiet on earth, Christ was booming his voice in the realm of the dead, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ preaching his gospel. 
I heard that. That's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. And what, what happens after the three days? His soul returns victoriously to his body. And then he would and then he would ascend to the Father in glory. What does he say to Mary? Don't cling on to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father in heaven. Why? Where has he been? Because he has first descended into Hades to preach the gospel. And now he is telling us the resurrection is true. And then he will ascend and be glorified. He goes before us. Do you see that? He lives. He dies. He descends. And then he raises. And then he is glorified. He goes before us as, as what we will be. He is the divine exemplar of our faith. First Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Christ is the first fruit of, our, of the resurrection. And bringing to all men a sure hope that if Christ has been raised, so too we will be raised. Amen. There will be a day when death will be no more. Hades will be no more. The realm for the wicked will be no more. The righteous will be with Christ and glorified. The wicked will be cast into eternal hell and suffer for eternity. Trust in Christ. Place your faith in him. Hope in him alone. He is the only way by which you can be saved. I pray that this brought clarity to some of the things that maybe were not as clear last week. Let us pray.